few weeks ago, I started, I suppose, a mini-series of one that's become two. It's not going to become three. But it was inspired by a book that I'd read called Side by Side. And since then, I've got four copies extra with me. And if you would like to buy a copy, then they're £7.49. I'll accept £7.50. But uh, you can get one for me at the end of your wish. And so tonight, I would like to go back to it and pick up something of what I uh, started saying then. The biblical basis for side by side is something that doesn't come through immediately when you read the book, but I think it does reflect a very familiar verse that Paul writes to the Philippians when he's telling them about their Christian life. And here is what he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you, come and see you, or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, and here it is, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. And I think Paul was thrilled with that image of the church. I wonder what your image is. I have a question. It's not a rhetorical question. So I'd like you to take a moment. You may want to confer with the person beside you. I'm not going to ask for a lot of feedback. But here's the question. What qualities come to mind when you think of relationships in the church? So I'm going to give you 30 seconds or maybe slightly more uh, to think about what that is. And I'd like us maybe as we sit here in this building where we are used to coming together, gathering for worship, just to think for a few moments, what are the qualities when we think about relationships in the church that come to mind? So off you go, chat to somebody or think about it yourself. Okay, I'm going to break in there and uh, hopefully you've been thinking about some of the aspects of relationships in the church that are encouraging. Uh, there might be some that are tough. There might be things that you find really very stretching and things that are just pure joy. Uh, I'm sure all of those things were in Paul's mind when he was writing to uh, the Philippians, thinking about them striving side by side. And uh, I enjoy this church. I'm, I suppose that's something I should say because I'm employed by the church, but it's far more than that. You know, it's part of a body where we're growing together struggling together uh, and just feel it's, uh, that is the life to which we are called together. And Paul, we looked at this briefly, I'll just as a quick recap, remind you of what Paul says in Romans 12 about this shared life together. He describes the church as a body that's arranged in a way that gives support to each other and where each person fits in together as, as a gift to the church. It's a wonderful picture from Romans 12. And he, he said it requires a whole transformation of our minds. So it's not something that just necessarily happens when we walk in through these doors. But it requires, according to Romans 12, 
Well, here's a few things, just three out of the whole stream of uh, encouragements and images that Paul has in Romans 12. The first is a right view of ourselves, where Paul is saying it's much more than just knowing your strengths and weaknesses, but it's in accordance with the faith, the measure of faith that God has given us. In other words, it's what we're becoming rather than what we are. It's that picture of of ourselves through the eyes of faith where we know, yeah, there's a lot of work still to be done, you know, and, and there are things that just uh, really do push our buttons and, and set us off, but there's also great joy and a sense of what we're becoming as a group of people. And so there is this right view of ourselves as, as a body striving together. And the second aspect of it is that we belong to one another. So it's not just individuals who are changing, but it's happening in such a way that as, as we grow together, our identity is corporate. We belong to one another. You belong to the person who's sitting in the pew and the person right over on the other side who you may not necessarily uh, cross paths with very often. It's it's where individual identity is almost lost in the experience of one another's joys and gripped with the pain of one another's difficulties and failures. And the third thing is that we're allowed to be ourselves. We are all unique and God has given us each gifts and there are no clones. We all have our own unique contributions to make and don't we just, I mean, here we are, Lots of different people uh, with all sorts of ideas about what church should look like, like, what quality of relationship should look like. And it's all important, everyone. And Paul describes this body functioning together, side by side, strengthening one another, encouraging one another. And there's clearly needs and there's uh, people with great strengths and contributions. And, and sometimes, as I said last time, we, we get the idea that there's almost a line between us and others where we see people who are so gifted in discipling others and giving themselves away and people who arrive who, who just need all of that help and encouragement and an arm around the shoulder. But the line doesn't go between us, between the needy and the needed. The line goes right through us. And the amazing thing about the picture of how we relate is that it's in our brokenness and need that God uses us to meet the needs of others. Unbelievably. As people who are helped, we help others. Needy people are the best helpers. And it's a wonderful idea that God uses people like us with all our need. And we may only know a little fraction of what's going on in another person's life, yet God uses it to put us together as a body. Unbelievably, it's a great gift where God uses us. And as Paul said over and over again, it's this wonderful irony, paradox, of strength and weakness, of God choosing what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, 
choosing what's weak to shame the strong, and that's the body of Christ. And so being unimpressive is the new strength. Who would have believed it? It doesn't sound like a strapline that's going to be impressing the watching world, but it is how God has chosen to use us. Well, Side by Side explores all this, and I'd like to just uh, take us down a road of moving towards one another in our needs. Two weeks ago, we concentrated on the harder of these two aspects, what it is to be needy and face up to it and say, yeah, I'm that person. Growing in our acceptance of our own neediness before the Lord, we thought about even just the opening words of the Sermon on the Mount, the first two expressions of being blessed were those who were poor in spirit, those who were mourning, the people who had all of that weight on their heart. But tonight I'd like to look at how we are going to be fruitful in this area of helping others. And our aim is really to grow in ways that I think are already present and active in this church. And we, we see it as we look around. There's lots of one another care happening in spontaneous ways, in quiet ways. But there's lots more space to grow and with confidence that there's enough here to take the rest of our lives. I believe we should see this as a skill that we keep growing in. So I'm going to set out what this involves and uh, maybe at the very end, if we have time, provide a brief biblical framework for working this out. But hopefully what I share will be thoroughly scriptural and you should check it out and test that. Most personal care involves just a few skills and here they are. They involve us moving towards one another, getting to know the person beside us, with us, around us. And finally, bringing our knowledge of that person together with our knowledge of Scripture in prayer. And that's what Side by Side is about. And if we're going to be fruitful in this area, it is that straightforward and that simple. And in some ways, I think, for me, that gives me assurance that this is biblical. It's not some fancy scheme that we need to learn all sorts of psychometric skills for. But it is about growing together as people who reach out, who get to know one another, and grow together in bringing scripture and relationship side by side. So we grow in the knowledge of people and in knowing how to pray for them. And as we grow in these simple steps, I think we can look around and just admire the beautiful work that God is doing as he builds us together and he breathes life into this side-by-side -side life and he energizes us as we see something new in other people and builds us together. And so here's the first step. In order to know somebody, we need to move towards them. We need to take the initiative towards others. So how does that sound? It's okay, it's not going to be a, that's a rhetorical, you don't need to discuss it. But sound all right? 
We think of that as we move towards one another. It seems it's not boring. It's not simple. And we do that. And we come together on Sunday. We, we call it a gathering because we're moving towards one another. And it's as the church grows that we reach out and we're reaching out to more people as they come and we're, we're trying to move towards one another. Sometimes we're feeling so squeezed towards one another that it's almost claustrophobic, but that's what we're called to do. We do that. But then there's so many things to do, isn't there? I mean, there's busy church life program, things to do, work to think about, families to look after. We've got a lot of things going on. Uh, yeah, it's good to move towards a, one another, but everyone's busy. And we're constantly taking the initiative and it's something that fades over time. And I know that's true for me. I'm here on Sunday morning with my notebook and I'm trying to think of one new person each Sunday that I should try and speak to. And uh, sometimes it's overwhelming and I'm, I'm just uh, getting distracted with all of the other program things. It sounds all right, but, but here's another way to frame it. And here's where some of the songs that we were singing a few minutes ago come in. From the beginning of time, the God of the universe has been taking the initiative towards you. God always takes the initiative. He always moves towards us. And Right from the beginning of Scripture, you can see that as, as in the Garden of Eden, God moves towards Adam and Eve, whatever they're doing, and he calls out to them and says, where are you? And then turn over another chapter and you've got Cain being taught the ways of God. But God comes to him again and said, where is Abel, your brother? And he comes towards us right throughout Scripture as the God who takes the initiative and the God who reaches out to us and pursues us. And the whole story of the people of God is not of them moving to him, but God moving to them and rescuing them and seeking after them and sending his messengers to teach them how to go. And it's portrayed most powerfully in the prophet Hosea, who is told to go and to pursue Gomer. In all her multiple adulteries, as she goes away from him, it's this picture of the God who pursues us time and time and time again and comes to us in our need. And then when the promised king comes, Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. He's not like the kings that we know who receive those with the right credentials. Jesus leaves his throne and he comes in ordinary garb. And he pursues those who are the marginalized and the outcasts. And he comes and says, I've got good news for those. And in Luke 15, that parable with the three stories about being lost, it begins with 
complaints about this king who's moving towards sinners, who seek those who don't seek him. And he does move towards those of us who seek him and those of us who don't. And so we move towards the needy and the distant, people who know they need help and people who right now, it just doesn't seem to click. And he moves towards his friends and he calls them his friends and he shares his life with them and he moves towards his enemies and he calls us to move towards our friends but not to stay there, to go on to others, outsiders, the marginalized. So we take the initiative, but doesn't that sound different? Doesn't that sound richer? Isn't that the life that we're called to live together as we think about simply responding to what God has done for us. The king comes to us. He takes the initiative and so go his people. As the king comes, so go us. I wonder, have you had somebody express interest in you? Asking, well, how are you? It is the experience of some and it's beautiful. But there are others who have not experienced that even here in church life. Think of Sunday morning coffee. It's a rich time of reconnecting. I love walking around and seeing the buzz of people reconnecting their lives, but for others, it's, it's easier just to slip on. Uh, so we pursue others, and we treat them as God treats us. But it is difficult to practice. It's hard because... There are some people that we don't click with and there are people that we find uh, are, are just in a different world, different interests, different way of thinking. Some we don't like, some maybe he, who hurt us, we think, give them wide berth. But that's the first step, to move towards the other person. And the second step is to know that person And it starts as all normal conversation starts. What's your name? It starts with asking for a name. It starts because that's what God does, the greeting. All through the letters of Paul, he greets people. He gives them their name. Again, it seems very ordinary, but it is something that God does. The God who knows my name is behind it. In John 10, as Jesus described the sheep and the shepherd, what does he say? The sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And so something very ordinary as remembering a name is sometimes where the challenge begins and it certainly begins with me, Thursday nights, Chinese students, respond with such joy when somebody remembers their name and on week two, Flora was waiting for me to tell me, tell her her name. And it took me a few minutes, but I did come back to her as the evening went on, and she lit up. You remembered. But we remember, we make an effort to remember because he remembers us. He remembers who we are. And this day of remembrance 
is the way it is because God remembers. And the Spirit uses these very ordinary initiatives to change the relationships. And, and so I suggest every Sunday we should think about a new name. Try and use it. Reach out to somebody else. And that's where it starts. With these biographical details. Who, who are you? Where are you from? Uh, how did you get here? And, and then we move further in. And we hear stories about the things that are important to them. And there's a diagram in this book which I'll put up, and it's a simple diagram. It just pictures life in one sense. It's a way of representing all the, the layers of life, all of our different aspects. And Scripture portrays people in all of these different ways in the details of their lives with little biographical details that are significant. And there's significance attached to each one of these. Work is important. Relationships matter. Our bodies are so significant to God, he says, he even knows the hairs on our head. And he cares about the clothes we wear and he looks after the food that we eat. And those things matter. And we thought about that in Daniel chapter one, who was concerned about the food he should eat. And God is interested in the details of our lives. But the aspect of scripture that seems to get special care is right in the middle. It's what? It's the heart. You can't have been in Windsor very long without hearing lots about the heart. Proverbs 4.23, it's the wellspring of life, so protect it above everything else. Look after this part. That's the, that's the stuff. So if we're going to try and get to know one another deeply, we need to go beyond the externals, important as they are, and seek the heart and there's always more to know about the person sitting beside us or the person I live with or the person who seems marginalized. And Scripture guides us on in this journey to the deeper parts. Proverbs 20, 25. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. That's what Janet's been saying to me all of our married life. But the man of understanding will draw it out. And that's the challenge, isn't it? It's sometimes very difficult to comprehend what is going on in our hearts. But there's something rich. So what is that woman of understanding or that man of understanding do? Well, we, we listen. We listen, first of all, when we're listening to the heart, not through a stethoscope, but for the affections, for the things that, that we're warm about. And, and we listen for things that the people love, the people beside us are, are connected to and are important to them. Circumstances of, of my life are pretty straightforward. I am married, I live in Ballyhackamore, I, I like to eat out, I like to ride a bicycle, I'm married to Janet, we have Amy, all those circumstances are, are you know, important. Uh, I could tell you stories of affection, which would take you much further than the biographical details, the things that I'm really interested in, the things that will tell you more about me. We met friends yesterday at General Merchants, uh, hadn't seen them for a while, hadn't caught up in a few months, they're really good friends, and we talked about family, 
And we talked about school and holidays and sport and plans and houses. But I wanted to say more. Coffee was good and the conversation was great. It was noisy. But yesterday was a tough day. And I threw out a sort of a, a half line about what was pulling on my affections. But it was noisy and the moment passed. And there will be another opportunity to do that. But when we hear those things from one another that are pointing to something more, the affections of the heart, the things that are troubling, the good things that are celebrating, when we hear those good things in the lives of others, we have an opportunity to savor them together and say, isn't that great? God is good. And when we hear the hard things in the lives of others, we have the privilege of bearing them. And maybe not saying very much, but standing with them side by side. So the heart is like deep water. And it's possible to go beyond the circumstances to the affections and to ask even further, how is your heart? It's really, I think, a question about obedience. It's a question about where we're struggling. It's a question of where Christ is in our lives. And so we begin talking about the outer areas of, of job, of, of relationships, of health, of things that are pulling on our affections, but we take a step further and begin to see the heart in action. And all of those circumstances are interpreted and applied by the heart. All those things in life, good, bad, ugly. There's something going on here that shows how the heart is so important. And we begin to see the heart in action. Let me read you just a couple of lines from side by side. At the very center of our hearts, is our connection to God. Here are the roots of the tree, the spring at the bottom of the well. Whether we know it or not, we are religious through and through. We could call it worship. That's what's happening in our hearts. Who we love above all else is who we worship, and who we worship controls us. And so as we heard this morning about King Belteshazzar, who knew the right thing to do, but he hardened his heart with pride. We saw the heart in action. David also talked briefly this morning about their acute loss and how his family have been receiving heartfelt support. And to see that is to see the action of the heart. And it's a beautiful thing as we serve one another, carefully tuned to serve one another's needs. I referred last time to an experience that our small group had many years ago, a moment when our hearts were opened and where needs were shared. And it was a, a turning point for us as a group. It was the beginning of something much more for us as we gathered each time the conversations. Didn't need to dwell on the details of what each of us had said on that particular night. But we were 
guarding our hearts, asking what's going on, how are we reacting to those circumstances? And the matters didn't need to be discussed again, but it was an opportunity to say, where's the worship? Is it taking us away or is it pointing us to Jesus? And all we're doing in this is taking the first step towards the person and things begin to go deeper and we might hear complaints, maybe about a spouse or work or church. We might hear anger, which isn't easy to hear, but nevertheless, we we have to treat it carefully as something of great importance. We don't need to fix one another in every conversation. There'd be an opportunity for that. But there might be the story of somebody who's controlled by wrong thoughts about who they are, about themselves. And what their hearts are saying is, I need to get right before God. I need this addiction changed. I need this distorted view of myself fixed. And so every day I need to open God's word, sit before it and wait for him to reorientate my heart towards him because he's the one I want to worship, not that other thing that is never going to deliver. So we tell each other the heart of our life before God And all it takes is the question, how are you? And the final step in this side-by-side is to pray. To ask, how can I pray for you? And again, it's a very simple question, but it's it's a question that has depth. And if we think about the issues in one another's lives and the stuff that we're going through, then surely it's the right question because it's, Praying with one another is really about listening to Scripture and listening to the person beside us and saying, how do these two things come together? What can I pray for you about? How can I support you? How can I pray for you? It's about taking all that we know of God's promises and the reality of the way he looks at us and all the difference that knowing Christ and him crucified makes. says, what does that say to this situation? It might be somebody who's sick. How can I pray for you as you suffer? And you might say, can I pray along these lines of Hebrews 11 or 12? Can I pray that through this suffering, which is horrible, and I'd love to see it taken away, you might see something more of Jesus, the one who understands our pain, the one who has persevered through it, and pray that in the reality of their suffering, they might consider Jesus. To see the present struggles as something that assures us that he understands, that he knows all about it. Could I pray that for you? Could I pray that you would discover something about what a, f- a heavenly father does to his children, that he actually carefully allows these things in our life, that we might be his true children? Or 2 Corinthians 4, that great passage at the end of that chapter where Paul is saying to them, outwardly wasting away, yeah, he had been through all of these struggles and he knew other people were as well, but he said, inwardly, what's happening? We're being renewed day by day. So these are just a few skills that are very ordinary and they are the ordinary care of souls that we're called to as we think about relationships in the church. And it started with 
knowing how God has taken the initiative towards us, how he pursues us, and the privilege of doing the same for others. The Lord remembers the troubles of his people. He doesn't minimize the daily trials and struggles of our lives. And so we too remember and we come close and we live side by side. Our time is up, but I'd like to just put one last slide up and leave you with a few thoughts from Ephesians 4. And uh, Ephesians 4 is that hinge in the letter that Paul had been writing as he was telling the believers there about all of God's purposes that are fulfilled in Christ who is head over all and unites all things under his feet. And he builds in these first three chapters this vision of, a, of God's new society, of what is the basis of the relationships that uh, are being worked out. And then in chapter four, he begins by fleshing it out. And what's the first thing he says as he writes to these people? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And what he's saying is the change starts here. It starts with me. It starts with saying that the humble servant who has come to us calls us to be a humble servant to one another, to be completely humble and gentle. And he goes on to fill out what that looks like in this wonderful chapter as he talks about all that Christ has done and how he gives gifts and how we all belong. And by verse 16, he has this body picture again, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And what's happening? The change needs all of us Every one of us, the marginalized and the people in the dead center of church life, we're all needed. Every supporting ligament, every sinew, it grows because we all grow together. And the last challenge from the previous verse, Ephesians 4.15, it means speaking to one another side by side. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. What a fantastic vision of relationships in the church. May God equip us to do what he has done to reach out, move towards one another with that initiative of getting to know people and praying for them. Amen.